Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you here this morning. Our key scripture today comes from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 13. Last week, we uh, began going through the season of Advent, and we celebrate Advent here together as uh, a church to give us a whole uh, month's worth of celebrating the birth of Jesus and everything that means here to us. And today, uh, our theme for Advent is the theme of peace. So our reading comes from Romans 15, 5 through 13. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where does peace come from? This is a question that people have asked and tried to answer for a really, really long time. Everybody wants peace, but very few seem to find it or at least find it in any sort of lasting way. Now, there are plenty of suggestions for how you can receive or have peace. More stuff, less stuff, more purpose, more freedom, family, solitude. You get the picture, I think. Most would probably tell you that peace is fleeting that they experienced peace for a little while, but then something happened or they came into conflict with some situation or some person in their life and their peace, they would tell you, was stolen from them. It has even become a joke within the church that the last thing you should ever pray for is peace. Because the moment you pray for peace, what happens? There's conflict. The moment you pray for patience, Someone tries it. I think part of our problem is that we have tied peace to some sort of distorted sense of control. In other words, we experience peace when things are going the way that we would like for them to go. But as soon as conflict is introduced, we lose our sense of control and then peace is gone only to be replaced with an opposing force staring us right in the eye. And every time it is that opposing force's fault that we are no longer peaceful. Paul here is calling his Roman readers to find peace. They lived in a world of conflict, but he believed that they could have peace. 
But that peace was not something that was going to be given to them by others. Instead, it was a peace that they were going to have to find on their own. So where did the peace that Paul believed they could have, where was that going to come from? It comes from Jesus, but not in the way we would normally think. Because Jesus does not simply make everything better for everyone and makes it so that things go the way that we think they should. In fact, Paul probably would have argued at this time to Christians that being tied to Jesus is actually going to make your life much more difficult. Instead, what he is calling them to is to recognize what is at the core of their relationship with Jesus in the first place. And it is this. God loves them, and Jesus has accepted them. If they can remember that God loves them and Jesus accepts them, then they will experience peace within. And that there is something really freeing, isn't there, about knowing that God loves us and accepts us in spite of all of our failures and flaws. There is something that brings peace in the knowledge that God already knows how messed up things are. And that the things that go wrong around us don't surprise him or overwhelm him. There is peace to be found in knowing that Jesus accepts us. But then Paul extends it in this unexpected direction. The Jewish Christians in Rome were struggling with the idea of people who were different than them being accepted by God as well. Because after all, if you're different than me, then what does that mean and how can God accept you too and accept me? And so Paul tells them first, you remember that God loves you and accepts you and then you need to accept that God loves others too and that he wants all people to come to know his love and to know that Jesus has died for them also. And if we can remember that we are loved and accepted by God just as we are, then the differences between us and other people are minuscule compared to the things that God has had to accept about us. Amen? And in a world that has a distinct lack of peace at this time, because certain people are different than others. We are called to be a people of peace because no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your political party, no matter what you think about anything, we are all the same. And that we all need Jesus. And Jesus calls us together as the defining force and power in our lives. And we, when we allow Jesus to call us together and be the thing that makes us who we are, this love and acceptance brings us a peace that we can find nowhere else. Amen? All right, please be seated. If there are any children left in the room, it's time for children's church and class. <clears throat> Let me, I'm going to close this door real quick. Guys coming in. Sorry. 
so last week, we, as, as I stated earlier, we began the season of Advent, and uh, Advent starts with a, with a particular question. You, know, you would think that's something uh, that is centered around the birth of Jesus and, and, and his coming to earth would start simply with that story and looking back. But uh, every year, Advent starts by challenging us to look uh, to our future. And we discussed a little bit last week about how challenging it can be for us to live for the future because, in general, we are very present-minded people. Uh, we, we like the things of this world, and we spend a, a great deal of time trying to get all that this world has to offer. We want to have a better job, and we want to have a better job so we can get better things, so we can have a bigger house and a nicer car, and that we can live a very comfortable life here in this place. And because this is sort of the reality of our situation, that we are trying to build this comfortable life, uh, there are so many things that demand our time and attention. Uh, whether it's uh, our work or uh, the things that are going on with our families or all this different sort of stuff. And all of these things that demand our attention every single day convince us to live with our right now in mind instead of living for our future. I mean, I have to just tell you right now, every stinking day, my children want food. <laughs> I know! It's... Little parasites, that's all they are. And so we have to make money so that we can go buy food. And then once we bring food home, they want us to fix it for them and to like plan out meals and do these different sorts of things. I'm like, come on, just think. I mean, my boys are uh, 13 and, not, and nine, so in only two more years, they'll be out of the house and living on their own, and we'll be good to go. Uh, but you know what I mean. There are a lot of things that demand, demand our attention here and now. And so within this context of all of this different stuff demanding our attention, uh, what does living for the future with the end in mind mean? And so last week we discussed this, that uh, it means that we know that the things of this world are temporary while the things of God are eternal. That this world is just a stopover for us because God has a home that is ready for all of those who are his children. Uh, the passage that Wayne read this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is my favorite passage in the Bible. Uh, and, and the thing that I love about it is are all the images that he draws into it. I love the image of this world being a tent while the place that God has for us is a home. But even so, I mean, even if we can sort of grasp onto that a little bit, it is still difficult to live our lives in the full knowledge that all of this will pass away when it all seems so real. That it's all temporary when this is the world and the life that we live in. But living with the end in mind is important uh, for a lot of different, different reasons and not just because it helps us to keep our perspective. Living with the end in mind plays a huge role 
in us gaining the theme of Advent today, which is peace. What do I mean by that? Well, the coming of Jesus to this world, him being born in this place, him becoming our Savior, him dying on the cross and raising from the dead, when we say that this is who Jesus is, we are recognizing, let me, let's just back up a second. When we say, as I already said this morning, that everyone is the same because everyone needs a Savior, right? Then what are we recognizing about this world if we say everyone is the same because everyone needs a Savior? We're recognizing that there is something about this place that is not right, that there is something about us that is broken. The coming of Jesus to this world, the acknowledgement of him as a Savior, says that this world is in fact lost, broken, and in need of someone to redeem it. So here's this weird kind of tension we live in, okay? So we live in this place where we have all these wonderful, life-giving things that are blessings from God, but we're trying not to get caught up in all this stuff, in the, the job, and the car, and the house, and the retirement, and the travel, and all this stuff, all these fun things that we get to do here. So, but we recognize that all these things are kind of good and, and, and great, and, and we want them. But, but, they're, but they're temporary, and they're not eternal. And then on the other side of this, we live in this place where we have to say, and we have to realize that as wonderful as the world may seem to be, and in fact as many good things as it may offer us, it is lacking. It is broken. It is, there is something about it that is off. Because this idea that there is something about the world that is off, Jesus would argue, is the true nature of things. Do not store up for yourself treasures in earth where thieves, moth, rust can come and take it. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven because those things cannot be taken. They do not rot. They are not destroyed. Time does not have any influence on them. It's hard sometimes to see the rust and moths and thieves when you're so enamored with what else is there. At times I know that I have been overwhelmed by something that I cannot begin to describe, but I'm going to try. It's a restlessness that is deep within me that says, there just simply has to be more to this place than this. There, there has to be something more Maybe you know what it's like to feel this sense of restlessness, to know that things are not right, uh, to want nothing more than for things to change, but knowing that as much as things may change, the essence of what it is is going to stay the same. And I, I can't even really identify what that might be for you or what things in your life you might have experienced which could bring that message. My struggle with restlessness here 
is that I know that there's not a lot of things that I can do to change this deep feeling that I have. And I know that I won't feel an end to the restlessness until I leave what is temporary behind for what is lasting. But then I, I had to come to grips with something about this feeling. And I know I'm not being very distinct. I'm going to try to be more distinct here in a moment. I think that I am supposed to feel this way. Now, there are some that would probably try to argue against this. Well, no, like, you should feel good. You know, God loves you. That should make you feel good. They say, da-da-da, you should make you feel good. All these things should make you feel good. You should feel good. And I want to say, would you just stop yelling at me? (laughs) It's making me uncomfortable, all right? I get it. You want me to feel good. That's really great. Um, But that's this, where we started out over here. But the world is so great. It's so beautiful. It's so these things you should have. Look at da 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 And we look at all these things that you have. And the truth of the matter is, like, I don't think I should feel good about this place. I'm just not convinced that that's the answer. I think that I am supposed to feel restless. I know that when I do feel good about this place, I feel less restless. And when I feel less restless, I feel further away from God. But the more restless that my spirit gets, the closer to God I feel, and I think it is for this reason. When we go through times of struggle and hardship and pain, when we go through times of uncertainty, when we go through times where we just don't know what to do or how things are going to turn out, do you know what that, those things do for me? They take the shine off of this place. You know, if this place is saying, I have everything to answer your problems and your problems just keep piling up, <laughs> one on top of the other. And that's how it seems sometimes for me. That there is just one thing piling on top of another thing, piling on top of another thing. You know, when things are good, we have this idea that, you know, peace comes from there not being really any issues that need to be resolved in our lives. Like I said earlier, it comes from this sort of warped sense of control Everything's going okay. Everything's going how I want it to go. And so, therefore, I have peace. But that is really not the world that I live in. I don't live in a world where everything is figured out and makes sense and goes the way I want it to all the time. I don't live in a world where those things happen some of the time. When things are going great, it's hard to be restless. But when the shine is off of this place, restlessness rises up inside of me. And let me explain, I think, what this restlessness is. I'm not talking about something as simple as depression. I'm talking about wanting to experience the restoration and wholeness that I can only have when I am reunited with my God. 
I'm talking about being overwhelmed by all that can go wrong here. And knowing that there is not a set of answers that anyone can give me. And that is only when I leave this place behind that I will experience the peace that I know my heart desires. So maybe this restlessness is really a good thing. But Bryce, you're supposed to be talking about peace. I know. I know. So if peace is available to us, but we are also supposed to be restless, and in conflict with this world, then what does peace actually look like for us? And is it possible that we've been chasing a false idea? Uh, Well, what should we focus on? So first, we need to remember something, that the restoration that is promised by God in the scriptures is a real thing. Um, As we saw last week, there is a time coming when God will set everything right, that time when we will leave this place behind. So that is out there for us in the future, the ultimate end game. That is God's end game. But restoration is also possible for us here now. It's not like we have to live without it until we see God, because God has a plan for the world now and not just in the future. Um, As Israel's relationship with God uh, was becoming more strained several times, it happened over and over again, Uh, but in the time of Isaiah, as they moved farther away from God and life got increasingly worse, they had this idea, this promise that some of them were holding on to, and the promise was that no matter how bad things were getting, and things got really bad, really, really bad, that no matter how bad things would get, that God would someday set everything right, that one day he would do away with all of this old stuff that was going wrong, and he would bring about something that was new. And the prophet Isaiah spoke about this idea from uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. He writes, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now, it's a striking idea that Isaiah introduces to us here. And you have to remember that at this time, Israel was falling apart. And they were going to very soon reach a point where they no longer truly existed as a nation. And so what can Isaiah, what is he seeing that is going to help in this? And he says, well, there's a stump. Now, why is there usually a stump? 
Because there used to be a tree. Right? But the tree is gone. Why is this this particular tree gone? It was dying. This particular tree is gone because it was unhealthy, it was diseased, it was dying. But here is miracle of miracles. This tree has been cut down, but guess what is coming from the stump? There is something new that is coming up out of the stump. You see, the old tree, what was there, had become diseased, and so it was cut down, but the tree itself is not actually dead. There are still deep roots. There is still this stump, this base of what it used to be. And from that stump, new growth will come. And though the roots are the same, it's not going to look like the old tree. And that's a good thing, that it's not going to look like the old tree. So what are the new branches going to look like? Well, he switches from it being tree to what? He. He will be empowered by the Spirit. He will have wisdom and understanding, counsel and might. He will have the knowledge and fear of the Lord. In other words, this new shoot will be totally guided by God. He will do what is right for those who are in need. He is going to be, and this is something that was really pretty important to them then, it should be important to us now. This new growth, this new shoot is going to be a fair judge. Not tricked by what is outside, but able to see inside of the hearts of the people that he will be dealing with. He will strike the earth and slay the wicked. Those who have been oppressing this system of oppression is going to be put down and in its place there is going to be a system where the poor of the earth will be restored, where those who have been oppressed will rise up. Righteousness and faithfulness will be restored. But it leads us to an interesting idea. The new growth that Isaiah is talking about doesn't keep things the way they are, but instead upsets things. Changes how things are. Changes the system of this world and makes it into something else. The branch is the opposite of the corrupt judge, the political system that supports those who have the money, as they did at that time, who live in the right part of town or wear the right kind of clothes. This is a tree. This is a growth where God himself reigns and forms and guides. It is God who makes the rules and not those who hold power in this place. The people of God, those who are living with the end of mind, should be looking forward to this kind of growth. There were many at the time that Isaiah wrote this that had already abandoned God. That's why the old tree is gone. But there were some, there were some who were hanging on to the promises of God. That God would never leave them or forsake them. That God would restore him. And these words that Isaiah spoke to these people were like medicine for their souls. That one day things are going to be made right. And, but here's what's important. Where are they going to be made right? 
Where? Here. It will be made right here. The people of God who are living with the end of mind call out for this kind of restoration. We know that we are living for the end, but what do we really want God to do right now? We want him to redeem and restore. Now, I'm going to side note this for a second. I think that we have misunderstood what that means. Because when we often pray for God to be restored to this place, to this country, what kinds of things are we praying for? I want you to think about that for a minute. When we pray that God, we would be a country that follows God again, what is it that you're praying for when you pray that prayer? And I want to know, is it the same thing as what Isaiah describes the new growth is going to be like? Let's pack that away for a second. I'm going to let you marinate on that while I continue to talk. We say that if we have to live on this earth, we don't just want redemption in the future. We want restoration now, and that is something that we should be a voice for in this world. We have an expectation that because God is king, he can change things for the better here on this earth. Amen? That God can make lives different here in this place. That as his kingdom comes, good will be brought with it. Listen to these words from Psalm chapter 72, verses 1 through 7 and 18 through 19. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. I think this is important for us because we can't miss the boat entirely. I'm living for the future, which means God isn't doing things and changing things here now. No, 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 no. God is doing things and changing things here now. And this psalm might express the cry of our hearts. Not just for God to offer us a home when we die, but for God to be real here and now. For God to deliver here and now, not just from this world, but get this, for this world. So our restlessness for the end turns to a restlessness for God to be the one who restores here and now. But there's an important warning for us that is easy for us to miss amongst the words prosperity and blessing and restoration and hope. We are crying out for restoration. And we have an idea 
of what that restoration should look like here. And we have suggestions for what the blessing of God should be in this place. God, will you restore us? And here is the list of things that I would like for you to start with. Just because you are asking for restoration from God, it doesn't necessarily mean you're ready for the restoration that God is going to bring. How's that for a hard truth? We see in the coming of Jesus that there were many who longed for the, kingdom, for the coming of God, for his reign to begin here on earth. The people that get the most bad press in the Gospels, right? the Pharisees, they wanted God to come back and restore desperately. They were living their entire lives around these principles, but when they saw what God wanted to do, they believed it couldn't be right. Because that's not the kind of restoration God wants. God wants this kind of restoration. And they looked the Son of God in the face and told him to go away. From Matthew chapter 3, John had been uh, in the desert doing all kinds of fun things, wearing funky clothes and eating funky food. But he had a message. He was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he was working to get ready people, to get people ready for the coming of the Lord. But starting in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. By the way, you just read one of the best biblical burns that there is. I don't know if you saw it in there. You say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up the children of Abraham. That's an amazing biblical burn right there. Oh, you think you're good. Because God can make a copy of you from this rock. The problem is John presented it to the followers of God, which that's exactly what they were. Okay? Let's not get it confused. They were the followers of God. It was not simply that the world had rejected God. The real problem was that God didn't even reign in the hearts of his own people. John knew that the challenge many of these people were going to face was not the idea that God was working in the world. They wanted God to work in the world. But guess what? They wanted God to work on others in the world. And they were not prepared for God to come and restore their hearts and their minds, and to change what they were doing. 
Restoration, becoming a part of what God is doing, does not come by merely being a part of the old tree. Dude, the axe is at the bottom. It's already there. John didn't say dude, just to be clear. The axe is already there. And either you are going to be a part of this new thing that God is doing, or you're not. But you can't reject this thing that God is doing and still be a part of it. The stuff that is rejecting, the trees that are rejecting what God is doing are going to be cut down and burned. So you need to decide where you fall on this. God is sending someone, and that someone is not coming to put Rome in line and to make the rest of the world bow down before you. This one is coming to change you. And in changing you, he will change the world. Now that's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? This restoration is not about how God is going to change everything around us while we stay the same. We too must be changed by giving our lives to him and living not by the rules of this fallen place, but by the righteousness of the God who created, which leads us to this striking conclusion. Jesus did not just come to change a wicked and depraved world. He came to change us. His work started with those who long claimed to have a relationship with God, who had long been his ambassadors, and he wanted to change them first because they would then change the world. Well, this was an unpopular message. In fact, it got Jesus killed, this message. That God is not about changing Rome, he's about changing Israel. That God is not about changing pagans, he's about changing his own. How unfair, they must have thought, for John, for Jesus to turn their eyes to those who are unfaithful who are faithful when there are so many who are not, how unjust to target the very tree he planted and threaten to cut it down. And it's so easy for those who are with God to say, well, of course, God wants to change those people. Because those people are awful. I tell them all the time. You're awful. Look at how corrupt they are. Look at how far away from God they had become. But Jesus comes and says, I don't just want to change them. I want to change you. This is the mission that God has. This is the restoration that he's bringing to earth that those who know God would be forever changed because the love of God in Jesus changes everything. And Jesus asks us to step outside of the kingdoms we have built for ourselves to upset the balance of power in our lives, to make ourselves uncomfortable, and to become a part of this new thing that he is doing. And it's here that I realize that just like my attachment to this world colors my reading of Jesus' promise of the end, so too does my attachment to my own way of doing things color how I hear this cry for reform. But if I can give myself over to God's vision, then I am promised something that is really unexpected. I am promised peace. There it is, that word again. 
Now, I asked you the question earlier, when we pray for our nation to be restored as a nation of God, what kind of things do we pray for and think of in our heads? Is it that this nation would call themselves Christian again? Would it be that these laws and rules and things would be put into place? Would it be that these kinds of rights are protected while these kinds of rights are put away? Because I would say that based on everything I've read this morning, that has nothing to do with what God would actually want us to pray for. What would God have us pray for if we're praying for a restoration of our country? It's that the poor and the pressed would be so no longer. It's that there would be justice for those who are being held down by this world. Not the wealthy Christians who are doing just fine, but those who don't have anything and are struggling to find their way to the next day. God has laid out pretty clearly what restoration looks like. And it's not making the good people feel better about themselves. It's just not. It is something different from that. And that's uncomfortable, people. That what restoration is, is maybe not what we think it is. Or what we think it should be. And so as much as we can look back at these people and say, well, look how they treated Jesus, and look what they did, and look how this ended out, are we really carrying ourselves much differently than they did? What does any of this have to do with peace? Well, I want to just suggest to you that the people of God should be a people of peace, and yet so often we are not. Um, We are just as anxious, insecure, and worried as everyone else. And sometimes we complain a lot more. There is something scary to me about submitting myself to God and not knowing what it is that he wants then for me to do. Like I said, I would much rather submit my list to him of the kinds of things that I would like to do and then ask God to reinforce those things. There's something uncertain about following his path even when it doesn't make sense to me or if it calls me to do something that I don't want to do. And I am challenged, I am challenged by the idea, the call to be laid bare before God and to let him form me how he sees fit. And that does not create peace in me that God could do whatever he wanted with me if I would allow him. I am challenged by the force of God's passion for redeeming everything around me and for changing my heart. I'm challenged by his lack of concern with appearances, his willingness to go places that I just kind of don't want to go. And this tells me something about myself. When I feel like I do not have control over these things, 
this is typically when I don't have very much peace because maybe it's not the things that God is calling me to. Maybe it's my own lack of control that causes me to be afraid. When I feel like everything is going how I want it to, in those moments I can have what I call peace, but when something is out of my control, I start to shut down. The irony, of course, is that control in my life is an illusion. And whatever control we think we have, we can lose without a moment's notice. And the reason is because we live in a broken world that is out of control. That plays by different rules than we want it to play by. This world needs restoration. But I can't focus on everything that this world needs to change about it. Because in my most honest moments, which I often share with you, I know that I am terribly broken, out of control, and that I can't control anything really that happens around me. And on the surface, this seems like something that would be really scary to see and embarrassing to admit. But the problem is it's just true. So whether it's scary for me to say it or embarrassing to admit kind of doesn't matter because it's true. And don't we all kind of know this is true about us? So if this is true, that I am pretty much a mess, and I, and I have a God that wants to change me, then won't that change be a good thing for me? If it's true that I have a hard time getting things right, but God can take the things I do wrong and redeem them, doesn't that make my mistakes a little less earth-shattering? If I can try my best, fail, and still have a room in God's house, doesn't that mean that my failure doesn't matter as much as maybe I think it does? If these things are true, then what is something that I should feel? What I should feel is peace. Because the new growth is already here. Restoration has come. And we live in a fallen and broken world. And we look forward to leaving this fallen and broken world behind. But we also follow the one who has overcome the world. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. We follow the one who has overcome the world. Which means 
that while we live in this place, the love of God in Jesus pulls us up. It doesn't make our lives easier. It doesn't make everyone agree with us. It doesn't mean your car won't break down or a branch won't fall through the roof of your house. That's fantasy stuff, people. But what it does mean is that all the stuff of this place does not define you. Because not only does God redeem what's happening in your life right now, he has a place for you that is beyond here. And you live with that in mind. Knowing that no amount of falling is going to define you. Because you have a God that picks you up. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you love us in this way, that you overcome. God, we get wrapped up in these things of things of this world that just become weights that pull us down. God, we are broken and hurting and we fail all the time. But God, we are grateful that you have overcome this world, that you have more for us than what this place promises us. And God, we look forward to being with you in the home you have for us. But while we are here, God, can we be a people of restoration? Not those who are looking for power or influence or to be recognized or anything else, but that, God, we would be people who lift up the poor, that free the oppressed, that share a message of love and grace to all corners of this earth. Not for our glory, but for yours. Will you change us first and allow us to be part of helping you change the world? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. From Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 10, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear, their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra. Young children will put their hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. So it is with anticipation that we look forward to the coming of Christ and we say, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who loves you in an amazing way, we invite you to come and stand as we stand and sing this song together.